0: Good morning, New Life Church. Thank you to the worship team. It was a wonderful addition of the harmonica there. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed the the worship this morning. Let's continue our worship today around the Word of God. Um, Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We are currently in a series of messages titled, Letters to the Seven Churches that is based on the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Uh, These messages Jesus sent to seven local churches in Asia Minor through the Apostle John, who was a prisoner of the Roman Empire on Patmos Island. So far, we've covered the message Jesus sent to the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. So if you've missed any and would like to catch up, please visit our website, uh, www.newlifechurch.ae. You'll find the audio sermons there under the the resource file. But just a summary of the churches. i prepared a a PowerPoint slide for you this morning. We see the first church was the church of Ephesus, um, and that was the the church that had lost their first love, the loveless church. Uh, The second church was the church at Smyrna, And they were the the persecuted church. The third church was the church at Pergamos, which was the compromising church. And last week we looked at Thyatira, and they were the church that was tolerant, tolerant of of sin. And today we examine the fifth of those letters, and we learn about Christ's message to his church in Sardis. So let's read chapter 3. If you follow with me, from verse 1 to verse 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, What you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray before we study the word together. Father, we pray the same prayer we prayed last week, that you would help us to hear what the Spirit says to New Life Church this morning. Father, we know that this was written to a specific church, but we know the application is relevant even for us today. So we pray the Spirit of God would open our our eyes this morning. Lord, we do pray, Father, that we would not be found guilty of being a dead church. We pray that we would be willing to examine our hearts this morning and And see, Lord, if we need to wake up from this sleep, Lord, we may have found ourselves in. Where we may have been guilty of turning to the world rather than to Christ. Where we found our satisfaction in the things that this world has to offer rather than in you. Please, Lord, we pray that you would show us and reveal us and grant us the necessary repentance we may need. This morning, So we do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be self-righteous this morning, looking at our neighbors, looking at others, but may we be willing to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning, and that we would respond appropriately in repentance and faith. So we ask for your help this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On October the 31st, 1517, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. That might seem strange to us, ruining a perfectly fine door, but it was the normal manner of conducting scholarly debate during Luther's day. Remember, there was no internet or, or chat rooms or, or email where debates could happen openly. And we see his desire was for a healthy debate. And evidence of this debate, of this evidence of this desire to expose this false teaching and the practices of the church he was part of, is on the preface of his 95 thesis, and I've shown that to you this morning. Here's what Martin Luther says. He says, Out of love for the truth and from desire to expose it, the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and Sacred Theology, an ordinary lecturer therein at Wittenberg, intends to defend the following statements and to dispute on them in that place. Therefore he asks that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally, should do so in their absence by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And what followed was a list of 95 propositions that Luther wanted to debate. And I'll share with you three of those proposals that were included in his 95 thesis. The first one was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, in Matthew chapter 4, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Number two, it is vain to trust in salvation by indulgence letters. Remember, this was the practice of the Catholic Church at that time. He says, even though the indulgence commissary or even the Pope were to offer his soul as security, it is wrong. Number three, the treasure, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. So Luther's action is recognized by many as the start of the the Reformation. And Luther's goal was not to divide the church. Luther's goal was to reform the Catholic Church. However, he was eventually excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church, and he became the leader, the father of the, the Protestant Reformation. Last year was the 500th anniversary of the start of this Reformation. And we are spiritual descendants of Martin Luther. All Protestants are spiritual descendants of Martin Luther. But sadly, in 500 years, there has been another terrible spiritual decline in our churches today. There is an urgent need for reformation in our day too. And Jesus' message to the church here in Sardis is a clear call to all of us to wake up, and to see the need for spiritual reformation within our own churches. So my first point this morning, we look at the address, the address to the church. We see in verse 1. So the letter is for the church at Sardis. And the town of Sardis lay about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, 50 miles east of Smyrna. It was situated at the foot of Mount to in a fertile valley uh, near the river Hermes. It was also the converging point of several roads so that it had become a, a busy center of trade and traffic. But its ancient history is a little more interesting. Sardis was located on top of a, of a plateau, on top of a hill that was surrounded by cliffs. And the natural rock walls on, on the north and there were natural rock walls on the east and on the, on the west, which made this a fortress, which made it completely um, vertical as well. And the only access to the city was from a narrow path on the south, the south slope. It was an easily defensible city um, during the ancient world. In fact, any attempt to capture the Acropolis of Sardis was considered impossible, but it was captured. You can imagine the, the shock waves that resonated throughout the known world when King Cyrus of Persia did the impossible. And what had happened took place when more than five this happened five hundred years before the birth of Jesus. The king of Lydia instigated an attack against Persia. And when he was thoroughly beaten, he retreated to to Sardis to find refuge. He thought he was safe. He thought he was secure. But King Cyrus and his men, they surrounded the city. They camped outside of it for, for days. But the people of Sardis, still, they didn't feel threatened. They didn't feel unsafe. And sitting comfortably within this fortress, the citizens of Sardis became complacent and became overconfident. And Cyrus sent a handful of men to the north side of the city who slowly and carefully scaled the rock cliff. It was completely unguarded at that time. And one by one, the soldiers scaled the wall and they entered the city and they slaughtered its citizens while they were sleeping. This was a disaster that could have easily been avoided had they been awake Had they been alert? And this attack should have been a wake-up call to to Sardis itself. But three and a half centuries later, history repeated itself. When Antiochus the Great conquered Sardis using the exact same tactic. And I tell you the story because history again was about to repeat itself. In many ways, the church in Sardis was complacent. In many ways, the church in Sardis was plagued with the same problems as the city had always had in the past. And notice a description in verse 1, the second part of verse 1. Christ describes himself as the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. As he describes himself in all of these letters, here Christ's description of himself comes from chapter 1. And we see this in chapter 1 in verse 4. Look there in verse 4. The seven spirits, they are reference, of course, to the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, describes seven traits, seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, he says, will rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And in Revelation 1, verse 16 and verse 20, we see that the seven stars as a reference to the, to the pastors. So in other words, Christ was asserting that his message to the, to the seven pastors of the seven churches came from him. It came through the, the Holy Spirit. And Christ is sovereign and he's in control of his churches and he holds his seven stars in his right hand. Right hand. He is the master of the messengers to the churches. His right hand is the, is the hand of power. His right hand is the hand of, of authority. And he holds the pastors of these seven churches in his right hand. And he is the one who controls these, these men in leadership positions. But Christ's introduction of himself does not, does not give us any indication of the, the problem that was in Sardis of the the severity of the problem in Sardis. He didn't introduce himself as the divine judge, which he did as he did to the church in Thyatira. This church faced imminent judgment, but nonetheless he didn't refer to himself as a judge. Instead, he describes himself as the one who sovereignly works in his church through the Spirit of God and through the leaders. We see that there was hope for this church, there was hope for this church. And notice in this passage, there's not one positive thing that is actually mentioned about this church. Everything is really a criticism. But there was hope. There was hope for this church. There was opportunity for repentance. There was opportunity for a revival. There was opportunity for reformation. And the Holy Spirit was sent by the risen and ascended Savior to give life, to wake up this church. As they needed, and our Lord was telling the local church at Sardis that if they would listen, if they would heed his words, if they would repent, and if they would reform according to His word, then He would revive them and the same message is for, for us today. third, observe the complaint, observe the complaint in the last part of verse one and in the second part of verse two Christ said in Verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. These are stinging words. And the title of my message is Sardis, the Church of the Living Dead. They really were like zombies in many ways. They had an appearance of life on the outside, but they were were dead in the, the inside. They had a reputation of having spiritual life. But the Lord knew better. He he knew what was inside their hearts. And the Lord considered them to be dead. I I could not imagine more dreadful words for any church to hear from the Lord Himself. The Lord knows all things. And when we read the Lord's diagnosis that this church was dead, probably a, a good synonym, an accurate synonym is probably comatose they were asleep they were comatose we see later the lord added that there were some things that remained and that they and that were that they were ready to die there was a flicker there was a dim flicker of of life in this assembly in this congregation but the church was as good as dead why we need to ask that question well, many believe that Sardis was one of the wealthiest of the seven churches. And having wealthy members, it's quite probable that the church in Sardis was was very popular in the in the community, in the society. It seems that they were at peace with their surrounding neighbors. There is no mention in this letter of any persecution, and there is no mention of even any false teaching taking root in this fellowship. We don't hear of the false teaching of Balaam, we don't hear of the false teaching of the Nicolaitans, we don't hear of the false teaching of Jezebel. More than likely, this church preached sound doctrine, but they did not live sound doctrine. It was a case of the teaching going in one ear and then coming out of the other ear. There was little conflict within or without the church. But the absence of any conflict or persecution is not a sign of spiritual life. In fact, as this letter clearly shows us, sometimes the absence of, of trouble is a sign. Is a sign of the absence of life. So outwardly, there was an indication of life. But what the church lacked was the, the presence of God. They lacked the life. Of God, And I'm sure that there are many churches like that today. Without the life of the Spirit, a local church will not be a threat to the community. They won't have any effect in the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're no threat to the, the spiritual darkness that is, that is around them. As a result, uh, the world is content to, to leave it alone. It's, it's almost as if the devil says... The church is busy destroying itself. They don't need my help. Perhaps this local church was, was involved in doing good works in the society. It may have been active in social ministries. We don't know. They may have enjoyed some popularity amongst its neighbors. They might have been active. But that's no sign of spiritual life. It's not a sign of spiritual life. And since this church had a name that it lived, had a reputation, but despite of its good reputation, there was no spiritual life. You know, sadly, sometimes churches become nothing more than a, than a social club, much like the, the Rotary Club or the Lions club a place where people go for therapeutic um, teachings, a place where they can get their felt needs met. But if a church exists simply to meet the physical, emotional, and psychological needs of, of the community, they will get a reputation. They will receive some type of a reputation, but it won't be a living reputation where the gospel is preached and where People turn to Christ in repentance and faith. In reality, on the inside, they, they are dead. And the Sardis church, on the outside, looked good to everyone in the community. But from God's perspective, the church was in serious trouble. And John MacArthur, he asks a question that every church should ask, that we need to ask. What are the danger signs that a church is dying? Here is his answer. A church is in danger when it is content to rest on its past laurels, when it is more concerned with liturgical forms than spiritual reality, when it focuses on curing social ills rather than changing people's hearts through preaching the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ, when it is more concerned with material than spiritual things, when it is more concerned with what men think than what God says, when it is more enamored with doctrinal creeds and systems of theology than with the Word of God, or when it loses its conviction that every word of the Bible is the Word of God Himself. No matter what its attendance, no matter how impressive its buildings, no matter what its status in the community, such a church, having denied the only source of spiritual life, is dead. Let's look at the fourth point this morning, the command. The command in verse 2 and verse 3. There were a faithful few in the church at Sardis. And Christ gave these faithful few five commands that that were needed by the church in Sardis. If they were to to survive, if they were to to thrive. First we see in verse 2, they needed to wake up. They needed to wake up. They needed to pay attention to what was going on around them, to what was going on inside of them. Things in the church were, were in a terrible condition. They needed to look at what was happening in their church, evaluate their situation, and get involved in changing things. They needed to confront their sin. They needed to confront their error, and they needed to make a difference. Secondly, the church insiders needed to To strengthen what remained. Strengthen. The word strengthen is used there in verse 2. Because it was about to die, they needed to strengthen what was still alive. And the faithful few were to get active in the church. They were to nurture the people in the church. They were to make disciples in the church with those that were not dying spiritually. There were a few, remember. I have not, verse 2 says, the Lord says, found your works Complete before God. So the emphasis here is not on the works. The emphasis is here on before God. Please notice it. The Lord is not even criticizing their works. He's he's criticizing the type of works they were doing. Before God. The The church was performing works. But apparently they were doing this to be seen by men. They were doing this to be seen by men. and Perhaps they loved the praise of, of man rather than the praise of God, and that was a problem. They were busy being busy, but for all the wrong reasons. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Obey in everything, not by way of eye service as people pleases, But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. We see the church in Sardis needed to remember this. They needed to remember. Verse three tells us that that they they had they needed to remember what they had received. They needed to remember what they had heard. And what is it they received? What is it they heard? Of course, it's nothing else than the very gospel that was preached to them. Like the church at Thess, Thessalonica, they had, they had accepted the word not as men, but as it was really preached as the word of God. And the only way to revive from this coma that they found themselves in was to reflect again on the gospel, the gospel which they had forgotten, the gospel which they had We can never afford to lose sight of the gospel message. And that message, that message that God chose us and sent His Son to live and die and be raised for us. And for His Spirit to quicken us is a good enough message to revive anybody, even today. And only as we remember the gospel will we remember God. Will we remember what we've been saved from. And the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus is the message to which the church must constantly be conforming towards. It's very easy to lose sight of this important truth. It's very easy to become distracted with everything that is going on around us. But this needs to be the core of the church. And apart from this message, there's no life for the local church. We're running on empty without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 3 as well that the church in Sardis needed to keep it. Not only remember it, but to keep it. The Lord says... We must resolve to hang on to the gospel truth. We need to hold fast, exhorted the Lord, to that gospel message. Author Jerry Bridges, often he often reminds his readers that believers must daily preach the gospel to themselves. We daily need to cling on to the message of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves, we need to preach to ourselves that we are saved. We've been saved for a purpose, what we've been saved from. So we don't fall into sin all the time. We've been saved for a purpose. We've been kept by God for a purpose. By His sovereign grace, not by our good works, not by our efforts. The local church, they will enjoy spiritual life, must remember this message, must keep this message central in everything we need to cling to the gospel truth we see in verse 3 again the church in sardis needed to repent the believers in sardis were to remember they were to hold fast and they were to repent they were to repent of their their slothfulness their laziness that had allowed them to fall into this coma And such repentance can only happen when we are exposed to God's gospel. Paul himself said, if it wasn't for the gospel, he would not have known that he was a sinner. And we need to be exposed to the gospel in his word. We must make it a priority to constantly sit under the faithful preaching of God's word. I hope you schedule a time in your day for a daily devotion. With your children, with your family, with yourself. We need to engage in godly fellowship, not only on a Friday, but also during the week, and that is why we have home groups, home, home groups, just as, as Cole mentioned. We need godly fellowship that is centered around the gospel. If we will enjoy the life that is offered to us in the gospel, then we need to build intentional relationships with others who love the gospel. We must pray together. And I would encourage you to join our prayer meetings nine o'clock before church here. Or join our Tuesday evening prayer meetings. We must use these means of grace that the Lord has given to us. We must be partaking in the Lord's table to show the gospel to those around us so that we are reminded of the gospel. And that's the whole point of this physical illustration of the, of the bread and the wine. To remember what God has done for us. The means of grace, of baptism, to remind us of the gospel. And if you have not been baptized as a believer, I would encourage you to do so. We must use the opportunity to read good biblical literature. We must take responsibility to avoid anything that attacks the gospel in our lives. My fifth point this morning. We must notice the warning. Notice the warning there in verse 3. Christ said in verse 3, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know At what hour I will come against you. Of course, no one knows when a thief will come and and rob a person. They don't don't advertise the time they're coming to rob. It's completely unexpected. And that is the picture Christ wanted the church in Sardis to know. And I think they understood this picture because of their history. Perhaps this was a reference to to the way Cyrus' soldiers crept into the city and and slaughtered their, their citizens while they were sleeping. Again, this was a disaster that could have been avoided had they been awake and alert. So the Lord says, wake up. If these believers chose to reject the offer of revival through the gospel, then they would have to live with their choice to be rejected by God. Remember, Christ is never the enemy of true believers. We can never lose our salvation if we truly belong to the Lord. But if this church did not repent, they would be showing to the world that they are not true believers, that they are, in fact, enemies of Christ, and enemies of Christ are worthy of judgment. We must never lose sight of the fact that God is dangerous. and we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about judgment. We like to talk about God's love, but how much do we, do we hear about the, the judgment of the Lord? In Hebrews chapter 10, turn there with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31, the author writes, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. God is dangerous. Don't think that we can simply ignore Him and we can ignore His commands to repent without facing the consequences. It's not going to happen. God is holy. And He is just. And he is dangerous. Just because we profess Christ, there's no guarantee that we possess Christ. There's a difference. Just like this church in Sardis. On the outside they said and professed Christ, but on the inside they were dead. And more importantly, Christ didn't possess them. They were in a terrible situation. Just because we are members of a church... Doesn't necessarily mean that, that you are safe. Just because you were baptized doesn't necessarily mean you are going to heaven. Just because you take Holy Communion doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved. Wake up! Wake up! Our faith must be in Christ alone, our faith must be in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Our allegiance must be to Christ and Christ alone. We cannot be serving God and mammon. Look at my sixth sixth point this morning is in verse 4. The commendation. The commendation. As mentioned earlier, there were a faithful few in the church in Sardis. And Christ said in verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Things were bad in the church in Sardis. But there were a few who had remained faithful to Christ. And they had not allowed the sinful society to taint their walk with God. And the consolation remains true for us today. Even in the darkest place, God has his remnants. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That is a promise. And in light of this, we should be encouraged to live for Christ in whatever culture we find ourselves. Wherever the Lord places us, we need to be that light. There may not be many faithful followers of Christ where, where you're from. Or even where you work, or even where you live. But wherever you are, you need to remember God has His remnant. You know, as expats, we can, we can identify with this. And we have the unique position to influence our churches at home, wherever the Lord places us. Maybe our churches at home are in a similar situation as the church in Sardis is, or was. When God chooses to send us to another country, or even back to our, to our home countries, we need to be the salt and the light that the Lord has called us to be, even in difficult churches. We are commanded to be faithful. We have no excuse to be sitting at home and saying, I don't want to be part of that. We are commanded to be faithful, even in a difficult situation, making disciples the seventh point is the promise. And we see the promise in verse five. Actually, Christ made three promises here to those who remained faithful, to those who were conquerors. And first, Christ promised that those who remained faithful would be clothed in white garments. He says that in verse five. And the white garments symbolized purity. And they are also the garments that will be worn by all believers at the the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we see in Revelation chapter 19. Turn there if you would. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The second promise we see here in verse 5 is the promise that he would never blot out the faithful few. He would never blot out those who are faithful from the Lamb's book of life. You know, there is a book of life in heaven. There is a book. And all true, and all true believers have their, <clears throat> their name written in this book. And the Lord points us to this book to remind us of His promise, and to remind us of the promise of full and final salvation for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is our hope. This is our security that every true believer has. And this is what enables us to persevere, to persevere in our faith, to persevere in the Lord, despite the situations around us, despite the suffering around us, despite the problems around us. The third promise we see in verse 5 is that Christ promised that he will confess his name before his father and before his angels. Christ had made this promise during his earthly ministry. He said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32, "So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven." So Christ is affirming here in the strongest way That he will present all believers to his Father. Those who are not ashamed of him, those who are true believers, those who are ashamed, of course, have a serious heart problem. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look Look at the appeal. My eighth point here the appeal. In verse 6, Christ said in verse 8, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Christ appealed to Christians to pay attention to what He said to them through the Spirit. So in conclusion here, now Christ is appealing to the churches, to, sorry, He's appealing to the church in us to examine herself, to see if she really was in the faith. They were to wake up, They were to repent, and they were to turn back to to Christ. Chuck Colson, in his book, Loving God, he tells the story of Mickey Cohen. Maybe you've heard of that name. Mickey Cohen was a famous Los Angeles gangster who lived during the, the 1940s. And he made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And his new Christian friends were elated. They were excited about this. But as time passed, they began to wonder why he did not leave his gangster lifestyle. And when they confronted him concerning this question, he protested. And he said, you never told me I had to give up my career. You never told me that I had to give up my friends. There are Christian movie stars. There are Christian athletes. There are They are Christian businessmen. So, what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? See the problem? He goes on to say if I have to give up all that, if that's Christianity, count me out. And Cohen gradually drifted away from the Christian circles and he ultimately died a lonely and forgotten man. As Jesus said, "Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father, who is in heaven." Now we can have a reputation of being spiritual on the outside. We can have a reputation of being religious, but the Lord knows our hearts, He knows what is inside, and that reputation by man will not get us into heaven. God were to examine you today, if you were to stand before Him today, what reputation would He give to you? God knows our hearts. Reputations are given by people to people. We should be more concerned that we have a reputation, a right reputation with God. We should be concerned that we are not hypocritical. We need to be concerned that we're not just play-acting in our, in our faith. And we don't know if the church in Sardis listened to this message from Christ. We don't know that the city, we don't know if they they did or not, the church. But we know that the city was finally destroyed in 1402. And what remains today is just a small little village on this magnificent site that once was Sardis. But even if they chose not to take note of the warning in this letter, We need to. We must. It's our responsibility to make sure that we don't soil our clothes. That we truly possess an inward reality and an inward purity which is pleasing to God, which is from God. We need to make sure that we are right with God. And again, I ask you, if the Lord were to return today, or if you were to die today, and stand before God, would He say to you, Welcome, my good and faithful servant? Or would He say to you, Depart from me, I know He not? Make sure you know that answer today. Make sure that you are right with God today. If you need to come and speak to us, please do that. And i will show you from the gospel how you can be right with God. If you need to make sure with somebody else that you've offended, do that. You need to make right with people and repent of your sins. Do that for the sake of, of God. Do that. Let us be a church that is pleasing to God not only by our, our outward acts but by our inward faith for God's glory. Father, we pray to you this morning for your spirit to to work amongst us. God, we pray that you would give us the grace we need to examine ourselves individually. Give us the humility that we need to examine ourselves corporately as a church. Lord, so that we not be found dead when you return. May we be found alive. May we have a reputation from you as alive. May we be a church that is glorifying you. May we be a church that is committed to your glory, to displaying your glory, Lord. May we be a church that pleases you, that lives for you. May we be a people that enjoy you, that are satisfied in you. Not with the things of this world, not with the idols that Satan wants us to to substitute you for. May we be a church, Lord, that is real a church that is active because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray, help us to remember the gospel once again. Help us, Lord, to receive the word of correction. May we be a church that is obeying the words that you have for us this morning. Lord, grant us, grant those this morning who need to repent, grant them repentance, grant them the faith that they need, Take away the, the heart of stone, Lord, and replace it with the heart of flesh. So Lord, we pray that your Spirit work amongst us now. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come upon us. Change us. Make us more like Christ. For his glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.